0: Welcome back to the Don't Worry About It podcast, where we talk all things mental health related, from anxiety to depression, from happiness to sadness, and all emotions and feelings in between. My name is David Izzo, and I started this podcast to help facilitate conversations related to mental health topics. On this week's episode, Eitan Nieman joined the podcast. Eitan is a senior accountant at Brand Sonarjin and is as well the director of operations at Rwada Nefesh, a not-for-profit that works to advance the mental health conversation within the Jewish community and provide emotional support to those with mental illness. Previously, he graduated summa cum laude from Yeshiva University's Sai Sim School of Business. While at Yeshiva, Eitan was the president of their Active Minds chapter, a national organization committed to decreasing mental health stigma on college campuses. Eitan has spoken and written extensively about how he has moved past the mental health battles he had in his teens with anxiety and depression. I really wanted to have Aton onto the podcast after hearing him speak in an, at an event. I thought here's somebody who's really putting his money where his mouth is and really taking on an incredible responsibility, not only opening up about how his own story and has actually gotten involved in trying to create a platform and work to create a space for people to openly share. And as somebody who tries to do that with this podcast, I had to have him on and needed to pick his brain and really just wanted to get through his own experience dealing with anxiety and depression, how he's been able to build and work through it throughout the years, and the work that he's doing at Fuad and Fesh. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Thank you guys so much for listening. Eitan Neiman, welcome to the Don't Worry About It podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you uh,
1: so much, David, for having me. I mean, it's it's really an honor. I've listened to a number of your podcasts, and it's an honor to be uh, included with this group
0: of people. I mean what you're doing it's inspiring frankly. Uh very much needed. I appreciate it. I really give all the credit to the guests that are willing to come on. I just try and provide an open safe platform for people to share their stories, share their ideas, share their thoughts and hopefully people who listen to it will feel more comfortable talking about that in an open forum. And I'm of the belief that it will drive a better conversation around mental health and I think, you know, the conversation has really opened up over the last few years, and I think it, for the better, there's still some stumbling blocks that are coming up, but like with any great movement, there's always going to be challenges, and I think with people like you, and people like people who've come on this podcast, and people who have just listened to it, I think have already shown an intuition and an initiation into getting involved in the conversation for the better. Amazing. And my opening question is just to have you introduce yourself to okay. the audience. Who are you? Why are you on the podcast?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as you said, my name is uh, Eitan Neiman. And, uh, you know, uh, my mental health story uh, starts with, um, you know, my own, uh, you know, mental health journey. So I started with uh, anxiety symptoms probably about around the time I was 10. Uh, somewhere along the way, depression, uh, you know, came in also, but it's you know, really hard to, you know, piece the exact timeline together because it was probably about 10 years from when I probably started to feel some symptoms till I actually realized um, <laughs> what was going on. Uh, for a long time, I didn't even realize anything was off. Like, I, I, maybe I maybe I attributed, you know, something to symptoms of puberty or, or maybe it, like being a negative guy or whatever it was, but I didn't realize anything was off. Then, you know, occasionally, little by little, I started to realize, uh, you know, something... Is off, um. But I still um had uh, no idea uh what it was. I certainly couldn't put words to the symptoms. So about the time when I was uh, twenty years old, uh, I got so uh, fed up. I went to my computer and I just I started googling uh, and I put in whatever I could come up with to describe you know the symptoms I was feeling, and somehow I hit the term generalized anxiety uh disorder and it was uh like i I would describe it saying it was like uh bruce willis at the end of the movie the sixth uh sense um uh when he basically realized for the past several years that that he's actually uh been a ghost i so i mean i literally like stumbled backwards it was like like stunning, and granted, I did ruin that movie for whoever may not have watched it. But it's been out for what like thirty years, so I feel like that's a good grace period. Um, so yeah, at that look, so at that point in time, uh, that was a big hurdle. So shortly afterwards, I uh, I finally told uh, a friend, uh, which was really hard to do, uh, and then I started to address uh, you know the anxiety and depression with therapy, treatment, and medication, and relatively pretty quickly. Over a span of maybe just a couple of years or so, I got this stuff pretty well sorted out and have been in a great situation health-wise since. So fast forward however many years it's been since then, like five years or whatever it is. And so here I am today, I'm 27, living on the Upper West Side and I work for a pretty sick accounting
0: firm in a senior position as a CPA. Wow, there's a lot to cover there. Something that's (laughs) completely stuck out to me is you started, had an awareness that something was up when you were 10 years old. Ten is a very, I mean, 10 is kind of a weird age because it's depending on who you are, it's like right on the verge where you kind of leave like being a child and start becoming a young, like a, a young teen Right, you're starting to enter those teenage years, you're right on the grasp of turning 12, thirteen in the Jewish religion, the bar mitzvah where you according to the doctrine, you become a man, but you're still very much a child. And this is your first time having symptoms, and then fast forward ten years is when you finally reached your breaking point and said, "I need to figure this out and just googled it. And you found an answer. Now, a lot of things that stick out to me, I think a lot of people I've spoken to and similar to my own experiences, you feel a lot better when you have an answer. Something about – I mean anxiety in itself is fear of the unknown. It's the uncertainty that creeps up and builds in your own mind. And finding out that you – it's kind of uh, funny that way where the anxiety that was driving you and was causing you problems and was – you were struggling with – Kind of, in a way, allows you to treat yourself by actually discovering that it is in itself anxiety. It's the answer to a solution. Nothing is worse than going to a doctor and leaving there without a concrete answer. Tell me I broke my hand. Don't tell me that there's a complication. Mm. Broken hand, I know what the treatment is. You put me in a cast, four to six weeks, six to eight weeks. I might have some lingering problems down the road, but eventually I kind of have a good understanding. The 10 years of uncertainty must have been extremely hard, especially entering the hard, in my opinion, probably the hardest stretch of life, which is your young teen years through high school and figuring out post-high school, pre-college or start of college life. What was that journey like between those 10 years? Uh, Yeah, right, between those,
1: uh, you know, 10 years, um, yeah, Uh, so, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, feeling the anxiety and social anxiety symptoms, uh, you know, I've, recall things like this with the social anxiety. Uh, if I were to walk down a hallway uh, and I assumed that everyone else in the hallway didn't want to see me. Uh, if I saw people uh, laughing, I assumed they were laughing uh, at me I assumed even if it was a random even if it was random people uh, like across the street sitting on a bench I never met before never say a word to them. I assumed they were laughing. I assumed it's gotta be some, gotta be something with me. So I started to obsess over my words and my conversations and my appearance and all of that to such a nauseating extent and made having conversations, uh, like really taxing and tiring. I mean, fortunately I was able to, you know, pull things off pretty well and really grateful for the resiliency, uh, that I've had all of this time. But, um, you know that was uh some of the stuff, and uh you know some examples and uh, yeah, and of course you know like the uh you know this the depression symptoms which I would say depression uh differs from maybe like general depression when somebody's upset or the point the differences you talk about general depression and a mental illness concept uh, perspective is that um you get upset when you really shouldn't be. There's no identifiable reason. Like, wait, why am I upset here? And it's kind of pretty darn hard to you know, snap out of being upset, even when you shouldn't be upset anymore. If there is a reason, you kind of uh, don't. And you often very easily find yourself upset, where you know most people, maybe they get upset once or twice a week. You find yourself getting upset uh, once or twice uh, before noon. Um,
0: so, uh,
1: yeah, that's a little bit of the story there. Right.
0: So... I think what you said is actually very interesting. I think when people – I think people very often confuse sadness and feeling down with depression and there are certain similarities. I think that one of the biggest differences, I think regardless of how your are with the DSM, I think they, the definition now is over a two-week span, more days often than not, you feel a certain criteria. I don't personally agree with it or disagree with it. I just think that there's – if you've ever felt depressed or ever felt sad in your life, you know that there's a difference. You can You can feel the, the different. You can feel the difference in it, mm-hmm. and each has its own trials, and each is difficult in its own sense. But sadness, you can in a lot of ways snap out of. Depression just feels can hit you like a wave for n- no particular reason at all. Sadness, an event can happen to you. you. Can lose something. Something tragic can happen. Something can upset you, and it can just cause you to go into a funk. Depression, you can be fine. Go to sleep fine the, the night before. Wake up, and it can just bam hit you. And it is a big struggle. And I'm curious to hear, you know, with your experience dealing really with depression, what was the difference like, I guess, when you made that awareness? How how were you able to, I guess, look back on the previous 10 years or even looking back now, the past 17 years? And through that journey, what is what has been some awakenings? What are some realizations you've been able to find? Well, I've certainly realized that I'm actually a very positive
1: person. Uh, okay. I assumed I was a negative person uh or a realist, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever you wanna call it. So uh that's what I realized. I realized, you know, who I actually am as a person rather than uh, you know, what these symptoms were masking a lot of me. I was still me. Uh it definitely was me, but you know, there was these symptoms which were unfortunately masking uh uh me from being the very best uh version
0: of myself. All right. And as we're getting to the com the conversation about, you know, mental health and mental illness, you know, I think it's always good to talk about what mental illness actually is and some of the misconceptions around it. In your experience, what do you define? How do you, how do you, define and uh, talk about mental illness? Of what is it? Yeah, so uh, I would say mental illness is
1: a heck of a lot closer to uh, diabetes than it is to uh, the perceptions you might see on TV, like. Uh, you know, somebody who is, uh, you know, violent, or somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, has uh, a- extreme mental illness, such as uh, schizophrenia. I, I'm going to differentiate the two. We're, I'm, I'm really not, I don't think we really are talking about cases of uh, extreme mental illness, which are very sad, right. uh, but, and they get all the attention, but it's such, such a minority. Uh, I, I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but it's, maybe like a percentage of mental illness, like 1% is severe mental illness. You talk about, uh, when you talk about severe mental illness, you talk about schizophrenia or severe bipolar uh, disorder um, and uh, stuff like that. So when I say it's a lot closer to diabetes, what I mean is, so if you think about it, what diabetes uh, does is um, you take insulin. What does the insulin do? It helps you manage uh, your blood uh, glucose level uh, to keep it within... healthy range so we talk about blood I mean that's pretty darn closely related to your heart which is an important organ um so basically with mental illness uh, or diabetes I should say there could be hearts uh, you know there it it relates directly to the heart Uh, so similar with mental illness um, you know whether it's with uh, therapy or with uh, some medication assistance um, you, start, you you manage some things which, you know, are a bit off in your thinking pattern called brain chemistry, whatever you want to call it. You manage some things. You manage things which aren't so natural. And um, so that's why I'd say it's a lot closer to diabetes. You're kind of just managing your brain, which is a very important organ, brain and heart, both
0: important. I've never heard that example given as diabetes. And the more I deconstruct it in my mind, the more I, the more I see it. And I think... It's very prevalent to, of course, distinguish. When we're talking about these things. We're not talking about borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, the really hardcore, more intense, and life challenging mental illnesses. And anxiety and depression can be crippling, and they can really cause a lot of trouble in people's lives and cause them to, you know, have some discom- a lot of discomfort, and a lot of challenges. But there is a path. There's a clear path forward. From my understanding, with anxiety, depression, and other more common mental health mental health disorders and mental health illnesses and the biggest challenge I think in fighting the conversation and creating a better conversation is stigma and stigma is such a buzzword these days. I hear it all the time it's such a catchy phrase with talking about mental I'll stomp the stigma i personally don't <laughs> I personally don't do these hashtags and i don't I don't like it I don't think it actually works in developing the actual conversation i think it allows people to acknowledge something and then stop thinking about it it's such a silly in my opinion just i find them not i don't think they push the conversation forward maybe they bring awareness that works for other people and by all means if that works for you go ahead i don't necessarily think it's a bad thing but what is stigma and how does it generate to the conversation around mental health in your opinion
1: yeah um, so I hate the word stigma uh, because, like, it it almost doesn't have a meaning. It's uh, pe- people, I think, don't recognize what it is. I, maybe when people hear stigma, they think it means just, um, you know, I don't even know. I can't even define what people think when they hear stigma. But I mean, here here's where the societal issue is with mental illness. Uh, the societal issue is that there's uh stereotypes that people have with those who have mental illness and based off of those stereotypes uh which happen to be false stereotypes based off of them they act in a discriminatory um manner uh maybe uh you know they're uh, less likely to consider them with the job application or with the dating application if they're aware with mental illness uh maybe they just you know they they think a little uh, less of them or differently about them um so it's uh, basically discrimination based on false uh, stereotypes that's uh what I like to those are words I typically use in place of stigma or misinformation or words like that which I think you know maybe catch people's eye more and define what we're dealing with a little better.
0: Right and I think for a lot of people especially if you're filling out a job report or you know in the dating world talking about these things have become hot, they become uncomfortable for people to talk about, people are wondering how much do I divulge? When do I divulge this information to an employer? It's different now on job applications, you're supposed, they give you a place to do it. If I'm somebody who struggles with anxiety and occasionally depression, I don't want my boss knowing that because I'm afraid of, I don't, I don't want to be put in that box. I don't want to be labeled. I think I do a pretty good job of managing it. And if I ever do a bad days, I have a support system and I have a routine. For others, maybe they, I understand why the companies would want to be more aware but to risk losing a job or to risk losing a potential opportunity in dating or in other situations in life it is very very hard and i don't know what the solution is i know that i had a good really good friend when i first started this podcast we were talking about challenges in mental health and i was i'm very bullish on and very optimistic and he said one of the goals of the movement needs to be that you can walk that you could wake up in the morning and be really really happy and there's a difference between you know when you can't do it and when you can and that's obviously up to the individual and i think they Need to be honest and push themselves to the best of their ability when there's a day you wake up or you're in at work and you are feeling you're you get hit with that wave of anxiety, maybe you have a panic attack, and mm-hmm. it really hits you out of it that you could go to your boss or to your manager and say, "Hey, this is what's going on i need to, i can't I can't be here and that will be treated the same way that if you t- emailed your boss in the morning or told your manager after, hey i'm I'm sick mm-hmm. nobody wants a sick employee in their office." They don't want him to get anybody else sick, and those are for different reasons that don't <laughs> clearly translate to mental health. But if you're sick, the boss, for the most most bosses, will let managers will let you go, and some obviously won't. And those are different challenges that is that's always okay. going to happen in life. But until we can reach that moment where it'll be treated the same way, um, it'll be treated the same way as a physical illness. And I think one of the biggest movements that I've seen in, in, in the best part of language, actually, within the mental health community, and talking about these these topics is actually not thinking of mental health as mental health, but thinking of it as just health. When you're talking about your health, you're talking about it the same way you would about your physical okay. health, and it, it is taken as seriously. And I think that is something that i am personally become very passionate about, and I think it's the goal of... I hopefully it's the goal of a lot of powerful players in the mental health movement. I'm just one guy with a with a small podcast maybe yeah. one day I become more influential. That's going to be my goal, but you know, you working at an organization like Rafuad and nefesh is that something that's on your on your agenda? Is that something you guys believe in? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh so I'll talk uh, about uh and Fesh a little bit. Uh we basically uh, our Stigma Fighters. We're an organization, not-for-profit within the Jewish community, which um, helps to move the conversation forward uh, with uh, mental illness and have that important conversation. And we also provide uh, emotional support to uh, those who have a mental illness. So there's two things we're trying to do uh, at the same time. And it's a difference between emotional support and medical support. There are organizations which will... Uh, you know, try to, uh, which will set you up with a, a therapist or a psychiatrist or will themselves offer that type of, uh, you know, treatments. Uh, so that's not us, we're we're going after the conversation and we're trying to make it a more productive, uh, uh, make it more productive. So just one example, this past Sunday, we had a really cool uh, conference for people in their gap entering their gap year, uh, specifically those who are going to Israel, taking a gap year to go to Israel. And it was for them and their parents. Uh, We had, uh, I think it was a couple hundred people uh, there. And what we were able to do is we were able to bring in uh, really expert presenters to discuss some of the mental health challenges which may pop up during your year uh, in Israel and try to just prepare people. And by doing that, we were able to bring the schools into the conversation, both the schools in Israel uh, for the gap year programs and the high schools where the kids are coming out of. Uh, so that's one example of something uh, that Refuel Hanefesh uh, does. And so in terms of being a stigma fighter, I'll pick up on something you said in terms of you said you don't really feel like you know the solution about what to do with uh, the stigma. Well, I think I do know the solution. So I'm super glad uh, you came to me. Um, we need, needs to be more people like you and me and who are speaking up about, uh, their, uh, mental illness from a place of strength. This is very much from a place of strength, you know, for me, I was able to, uh, you know, move, uh, past this and, uh, you know, really come out the other side, um, and, whether, whether it's from a place of strength or whether you're from, uh, you know, you're, you're in the, the thick of things, um, the more people speak up, um, the more, uh, you know, those who maybe have an unfair discriminatory view towards mental illness, they won't be able to anymore because one in four people have a diagnose, diagnosable mental illness, right? Um, so if, as more and more people begin to tell their truths, uh, their stories, eventually the people who kind of, uh, who believe this misinformation, they won't have a choice to, or else it'll be like every fourth person in their life they'll have to think negatively about. That won't be very easy for them. So I think it's just more and more people speaking up, which is happening, and you're facilitating it. That's great. That's
0: um, that's how we push past the stigma. Um, I have a concern with that. And that is that there will always be power brokers and people that are in higher leverage situations that will be able to accommodate by hashtag stomp the stigma, as we spoke about earlier. And these other cute things that are, addre- that are lightly addressing but aren't actually changing anything. The institutional change, I do agree with you that I think with people that are willing to open up and to talk about it. And I do believe that not everyone needs to or even should or is that a stage that is ready in their current stage to come out and talk about? I've had people that have I've t- spoken with about were potentially going to come onto the podcast, and after just ch- chatting with them, they w- they weren't they were not in the right place to do it. They were they weren't unmotivated, and I spoke with them, and I as much as I want to tell their story, I'm, it always has to be about the individual, and it's it's very scary, and it's very challenging, but it's not easy. I'm I'm curious to hear from your perspective. Was there any backlash or any? Unforeseen consequences, and those are harsher terms. But were there any things that popped up after going public with your story? You know, you mentioned that you came out, you uh, spoke with your friend for the, you opened up to your friend for the first time when you talked about it. Was how and then clearly have gone more public about your your situation and what you've been through and what may even still go through. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah, so that's a good point. I think there's a number of concerns. People have before they may speak up about their mental illness, whether it's you know even even if it's just to a friend or a family member or it's more publicly like we're doing right now. Uh, if it's to a friend or a family member, then uh, the top concerns, uh, at least it was for me and speaking to people, this is what I've seen, is that they don't want to be treated uh, differently, and their concerns. That people won't understand what they are dealing with. Um, so here are my findings on that, and that—that that is why it was so hard for me to uh, speak to somebody, speak to my friends or my family. I did not want to be treated uh, differently. Uh, no need. I—I, I, you know, thank God I'm doing, you know, very well uh, just generally with, uh, in in my life. Uh, with the the job or schooling or whatever it is, and certainly, thank God, I'm moving past the mental illness, so there's no reason I should be treated differently, so I didn't want to be. Um, So here are my findings. One, I have not been treated differently, fortunately. Um, Two, um, I don't think a lot of them fully understand what mental illness is, and that's to be expected because unless you have it, it's really hard to understand. What I did find is a lot of people I would have never fathomed uh, have a mental illness, so they certainly understand what it's like, and I was able to build uh, this really cool network of support where people could support me, I could support others, and we could you know just discuss it and talk about it. Um, so th- those are some barriers to just telling individuals, and then so then there's the barrier to you know really publicly speaking up. Um, which is that, you know, I don't want to be treated uh, unfairly within society, whether it's with jobs or dating, etc. Um, so, the solution there kind of builds on itself. As more and more people speak up, it will become more and more uh, normalized. And
0: from there,
1: uh, people will um, feel better about speaking up. And it, because there will be less negative
0: consequences, as you know, speak up more and more, less negative consequences. All good things. Right. I'm curious to hear, um I know from my own personal perspective, when I started talking about op oh, I was always pretty open about my struggles when I started, you know, I looking back anxiety since I can I can't remember a day that I didn't a time in my life where I didn't have anxiety. And I didn't know it was anxiety then until I had my first you know, until I went back to actually, my gap year in Israel for the years when I first realized, okay, this is not just sadness, this is Probably, this is depression, not getting out of bed, struggling to eat and all the other stuff. And then coming to Yeshiva University after my, after a year and a half in Israel and having my first panic attack on my first day and going through that whole ringer, I didn't understand what it was. And then I started talking about it. My friends didn't know what it was. And I couldn't talk about it then. I didn't understand. I felt like I couldn't talk about what I didn't understand and people wouldn't understand. They treat me differently. And I lost about six months of my life to just pure disarray with between that whole process. And then I started to trying to explain to my friends what was going on. Some of them were supportive, some of them, but they clearly didn't know or understand because they hadn't gone, they hadn't really experienced it. And I had friends that started to really experience some mental health challenges for the first time, bouts of anxiety, um, a little bit of depression, a little bit of some other things that were just struggling, that were really struggling with emotions and feelings, which I believe all are encompassing and are all directly related in talking about the mental health conversation. And And I started to realize that people, and we were, I mean, I was 20 years old at the time. They weren't really ready to hear about it. The conversation was vastly different than it was today. And I started to talk about it with them. And then friends started to, you know, that you wouldn't, I would never expect would start messaging me, hey, like, I'm starting feeling feeling like this, what worked for you, what didn't, like, what's going on? And I would just explain to them the core things that I had learned from my short journey, which was just, you need to talk. I'm here for you. You need to get help. It's okay to get help. Therapy's is Okay. If you need to go on medication, I had an awful experience with medication, which was partly my fault and partly just – I don't know. It didn't work for me. It works for others. Great. I'm all about finding what works for you. Most importantly, it was about understanding that when I spoke about it with people and then I started to go more public, I'd be so open about it. And there were, I think, indirect consequences to speaking out. I think people did look at me differently, did judge me, were a little bit more scared to – if if I – you know, was sad or looked a different way would probably be more on edge. And I don't have 100% confirmation, but I've gotten more confirmation in the past. And it kind of, you know, it sucks when people do that to you. But I started to realize it's, you know, I started to realize that this conversation speaking up in certain ways is it filters people in your life. If I'm going to work for a company that doesn't value that, maybe it's not a company I want to work for. If I have people in my life that aren't, not that they aren't ready, they're not Uncomfortable, uncomfortable is fine. If you don't want to talk about it, that's okay. You should. Do you and we can find other common ground. But if you're somebody who completely is rejects it, and doesn't believe in it, doesn't understand it and can't respect it, well, that's a filter as well. That filters people who I want in my life. People, complex topic like dating. If you're not someone who understands that mental health, maybe you are – Or and by the way, it's not just you don't understand it or the thing is that you're not able to talk about it in a respectful way or at least – with empathy and compassion and to a certain extent well that's another filter maybe you're just we're not we're not going to be compatible once i started to change that mindset which is only very recently it changed my entire scope of what this kind of is and in a lot of ways it's a positive yeah um yeah i i
1: sorry you, you know, went through those experiences no, no apologies
0: needed it's all life all right no
1: uh, no apologies then um, but yeah, look, uh, those are uh all, you know, very valid, which is why, you know, I think the the work that we're doing here at this podcast and that I've been really fortunate enough to find my with my uh with, with the not for profit organization or Fuhr Hanafesh, which I help uh lead, um it's really important, really fulfilling, uh, because it's just not it's frankly not acceptable that For there to be so many hundreds of thousands of people who don't realize how not alone and how like everyone else, so many other people, they are. Uh, It's just totally unnecessary for, you know, somebody like, you know, teenage me, 15 year old me, whatever it was, to be sitting around thinking that I'm the only one going through this. I, I couldn't, I can't even describe it. I don't know what's going on. Um, it's, it's just not needed, um, because there are so many people, uh, going through it, uh, and, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, some mental health challenges. Um, it's just why one thing why, uh, it's it's also why it's really important for me to speak up and do this on, on the topic is because, um, just saying it wasn't necessary with, Uh, that I had to even do 10 years with before realizing that there's something going on. Are you kidding me? 10 years? How unnecessary. Uh, I did not understand what mental illness was. You know, talk about, uh, you know, the stereotypes of OCD. I thought mental illness was maybe OCD or it's somebody who's uh, locked away somewhere or it's somebody who's, you know, suicidal. And I wasn't any of those things, so it didn't even cross my mind. Uh, But if, you know, the school I went to uh, had... some discussion about what mental illness actually means, uh, they wouldn't have made it more likely for me to have a mental illness or they would have just given me the tools to equip me to, um, be able to identify this and get, you know, move towards treatment, uh, sooner. So look, let's make sure that there, that, that doesn't have to happen again where somebody goes 10 years, uh, before, you know, some very available, readily available and effective treatments can be taken advantage of um yeah so that's uh yeah it's a big yeah, motivator
0: no I think that's a really good point I think it's, it's so important that organizations and people are getting um are getting more involved my during the during COVID about I think it was back in December January my old community that I used to live in in Englewood the rabbi of my old shul um he reached out to myself and there was a teenager in the high school that I used to go to my alma mater and he started a mental health podcast for teenagers. And I was when I found out about it, I was like blown away. I was like, I cannot imagine being 60s. The kid was a, he's a junior in high school. Uh, the Your Life Sucks podcast. If you're interested, check it out. The guy is really – the fact that he's able to do it at, at his age is something that I'll, I can only relate back to. And I was his age, there was no chance I would have been able to speak about these topics in the way it was. And it's a real credit to him. And he – the rabbi of the community hosted a panel with Arshul, myself, and him talking about mental challenges. And the fact that the rabbi of my community was able to host a panel – about mental health is a signal it 's not a sol- not a solution it 's a signal that of a movement around the conversation, especially in in, 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 the, in a modern orthodox community such as Angola, New Jersey. It signals that people are interested in this topic and people are willing to talk about it openly because you they know the rabbi more than most know they're the ones who people confide in and they, they see the issues in their thing and they 're hearing all these these topics, people keeping up with the Joneses with the money and, and, the, and the pressure to keep up and to and to not seem small is is crushing and it and it weighs very, very 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 heavily on the adults and my whole point to him was if you want to stop that, the lower the, the amount of people in these communities that are going to have these problems the conversation needs to start now and it needs to start a, it needs to start with parents and it needs to start with educating parents about how to talk to their kids about it and i do think with that conversation starting at a at a, at the teen teenage age at least an awareness around it will will help the people who adjust to it most people's first experience with anxiety i believe is around the college age is around 18 to 22 23 yeah absolutely and that those are the critical ages to you know try to reach people to, to there are people who are first experiencing it for the first time a lot of yeah. them it's the first time away from home if they're they're on their own there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of doubt and that's when you want to get them you want to get them when they're
1: uh you know, first experience starting to experience this so you could really uh, address it and make it
0: as much of a non-issue for them as it should be. Right. I'm curious to hear, do you think that there's a stigma around therapy and medication? And we can address those separately if you want. (laughs) Um... By the yeah way, there certainly is take off the word stigma we're throwing that out there I don't like it you don't like it do you think that there are challenges it, for people use it away I've learned, I've learned how to incorporate
1: it into conversation and I've learned how people use it not to worry <laughs> no, yeah right. so uh, let's see so with therapy and medication yeah I mean certainly there are misconceptions uh, about it or just flat out uh, false conceptions well uh, oh, too many to go down the list uh, we'll start with medication which I think is just the easiest one uh, what people believe is that medication um, changes fundamentally who the person is when what medication can and hopefully will help the person achieve is become more who they are be able to you know straighten out their whatever might be uh, off or not so great with their brain chemistry just add that add a little assist to push back on you know that, that chemical uh bit of an imbalance uh which is, you know, not pleasant. You could do a lot of the work with therapy and you need to do most of the work with therapy, actually. Um, but medication can can be helpful. It can give you a little bit of an assist. So that's a big misconception. The medication is, uh, gets you close, helps you be, you know, more yourself. It doesn't make you less yourself. Um, another, just a general misconception about uh, medication, as long as we're on the topic, uh, is that... Oftentimes people, so many people are like, you know, medication, it's not working, I keep on trying different medications. And the reality is that for some people medication, certain medications aren't going to work. Some people may never find medications which are really, uh, you know, which they really find works and uh, whatever it is. Um, But the vast majority of the work is going to be done uh, by you. This is, it's a you thing to do it with the assistance and guidance of a therapist, definitely. But it's going to be you focusing on making the life changes, evaluating the way you're approaching situations. Is this a natural way to approach the situation? Um, if I see my boss walking uh, past me and they kind of give me, they kind of, it uh, looks like they glanced in my direction. Is it natural for my thought to be, Stop. she's going to fire me? <laughs> uh, or is it natural for it to be like, um, that was almost assuredly a nothing or not even think about it or not even think about it. So, um, that, that's where the hard, that's where the real work's going to come in. Medication hopefully can be an assist. And like you said, it, it, you know, it didn't work for you. And that makes sense to me. It's not going to work for a lot of people, but what I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty is for nobody. Will it be the whole solution? Um, medication hopefully is a, is a boost helps, but, that's doesn't have to be. Look in terms of therapy, people are like, What what even is it? You're just you're just talking. Uh first of all, some of the most highly valued jobs in our society is just talking like politician. Um well, it depends, it, depends, who's, what they d- do depends who's doing the valuing. Yeah. That's fair, that's fair. Well some people that's that's a right. good point. Uh maybe I need to uh, update that uh <laughs> that <laughs> that uh <laughs> that particular example. But you know, like uh uh, salespeople and uh, uh, look, you go go down a nice list saw, In a lot of ways, actors or TV personalities—they're really just talking.
0: Talking is hard. Is is legitimate work. Every great, every top executive or most executives have to communicate in some way. <laughs> some of them are not maybe the best communicators in the way you work. But we are in a society where we communicate. We are especially in the digital age. We are connected. We have to learn how to. Weigh to communicate with each other in, in, in positive ways. And I think that's a really good point about, you know, the top profession, you know, people do have to talk. And before we go on to fall into therapy, I just wanted yeah. to touch on something that you spoke about with medication as somebody who medication did not work for at all. It, it was just not the right thing. And, and in that time, I blamed all my problems on medication. And luckily after I got off, I, cult, I don't do this if you're listening and you're on medication, Get off medication with your doctor. I got off it had a week. One of the worst weeks of my life with withdrawal symptoms. I was to put on benzodiazepines. I didn't even know what I, I, I they were. Imagine you would have a
1: tough week. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was on benzodiazepines. I didn't know what they are. A friend, a friend who's in um, who's studying in in school. She was telling me. She's like, you're on that. She's like, get off of it. She's like, you should not. No, she didn't say get off. She said you should not be taking these things. You know, these are like these things are really not. I don't. I don't believe for you. And what did she know?
1: Hey,
0: I I had a friend. Uh, one of my
1: first friends. You know, I told about this. He's like. Uh, well, you know, I have some. Uh, what's that? Xanax. Classic. Yeah, Xanax. No. I have some Xanax for you know. Uh, I have some Xanax lying around for something uh, unrelated. So you know, I'm happy right. to uh, you know hook you up. So fortunately, I had enough common sense not to uh, take him up on that
0: opportunity. Right, okay. right, and, and and these benzos are you also know what you're putting into your body, and yeah. you have to build a good connection in relationship with with your psychiatrist, the one who's prescribing the medication, as well as the therapist. And I. That was, funnily enough, I grew up not being able to really trust authority figures at all. And for the first time in my life, when I first when I got back to Yeshiva University after thing, I really struggled with anxiety for the first time, it was the first time I ever said to my dad, I, "I need help. I can't. I cannot figure this out on my own." And I trusted the system, and it turned out I think my process was right. The result was wrong. And I for a short time, I learned all the wrong. Le- I learned lessons for the wrong reasons, and and it and it and it stunted me and. I've come around to really appreciate medication for what it is, and I think the way the language that you use when talking about medication, it being an assist. If you are thinking that taking that pill is going to solve your your problems, it isn't. It will can help you in the short term. When like I when I was having a panic attack, did it did it stop my panic attack? Absolutely, but it made me it it enabled it made it. Me unable to actually do the work and focus on the internal stuff. And it was only through getting off of the medication that I was able to clear my mind. And while I was on the medication, I was also smoking a lot of pot, which helped with my anxiety but had an inverse. And the next day, whenever I wasn't on it, elevated my anxiety. levels. So once I got off the benzodiazepines, I got off of the medication, I got off the pot. And after a little bit of withdrawal and some tough times, eventually I was able to figure figure it out through, through, with an addition of therapy, with an addition of physical exercise and diet. And I started focusing on areas uh, that I could control, right? Anxiety is the fear of the uncertainty. It's things that you don't feel like you have any control over. So the best thing might be in my opinion, the first steps to do before going on any medication. And obviously, if you have extreme cases, it does vary. But in general, I think the best thing you can do is figure, find things that you can control and start and start controlling them. Do, do your best in those actions and in putting your focus and awareness there think can go a long way and in terms of medication for me personally it didn't work if anybody tried it i tell people all the time you got to find what works for you what works for somebody else it may not work for you we're, we're genetically different we have so many different nature versus nurture and all these other things So a lot of different factors that go into it yeah um so i think medication
1: is thing is it's a lot easier to, you know, kind of try to take these pills and hope that, you know, and believe that, okay, that will be the solution then, you know, with therapy to uh, try to put in the, the work uh, through means uh, like that. It's it's a lot easier of a concept. Okay, I'll just take a pill. Um, but, you know, in my role with Refug and and in my role, you know, just, you know, uh, very... Uh, Honor to be somebody and grateful to be somebody that friends uh, you know will turn to sometimes. I often see people frustrated. It's been years and years and years and years and they can't find the right medication. And reality is, is that you won't because you're looking for medication to be the solution. Uh, you got to put in the work uh, yourself.
0: Um, when you say do the when you say the work, can you explain what that means? Yeah,
1: no, definitely. You've got to. Uh, I've touched on it before. You have got to um kind of try to address your unnatural thinking patterns like is it really uh natural um that um uh, you know that uh, if i raise my hands uh in class um that i uh, feel like everybody is looking at me and nobody wants to hear from me or is it unnatural that as i was saying in the beginning if i walked If I walk down the street and I see people laughing, is it really natural or fair to think that they're laughing at me? Is it fair to think that anytime I think somebody looks at me a certain way, they're going to fire me or they hate me or whatever it is? Um, At the very least, and this is the advice I could give to people, and this this is so doable. Uh, If you're going to think in those negative or unnatural ways, and you can identify this is negative or unnatural, so at the very least, to be fair. Uh, be, uh also consider the positive angle to it. Maybe that person's looking at me because they're about to promote me. So at the at the least, consider the positive angle. And by doing that, by... Granted that I'm... Ne- I, you know, uh, when I was working on this in my early 20s, um, granted I accepted there was going to be the unnatural negative thinking patterns, but okay, I'm going to also... Uh, and I'm
0: going to also think of positive, uh, just to be fair. No, I think that's really good. Um, if you're going to only acknowledge the negative, you're not even being rational or being fair at all. You're you're only assuming that there's one potential outcome and then there's multiple potential outcomes. If something could be negative, if everybody could be looking at you because they're going to laugh at you, couldn't it also be for the opposite? Couldn't it be that they're actually waiting to hear what you have to say, that they're they might actually like. They're expecting to hear something good that they're gonna that you're gonna say there. And yeah. for the most part, two uh, two words that actually really helped change my perspective on my personal stuff. And granted, I still battle with it second by second. But I learned that for the most part, nobody cares. They're, they're, everyone for the most part is more <laughs> infatuated yeah. with their own self. Yeah. I mean, and that's not yeah. in a negative way. <laughs> nah. They might – They're even if they are looking at you, they're probably spacing out. They're probably thinking of their own th- right. If I think thoughts, if – another thing, if you're capable of doing something, at least grant that other people are capable of doing it as well and ask yourself, do you care? Because if you don't or maybe you do, good for <laughs> – it's for yeah, you. But for the most part, people are so, – you have to worry so much about it. I think there's a – I forgot. It might be a Churchill statement. It might be – I forgot who exactly it was. A good friend of mine always says this to me. He goes – in your 20s, you think everybody's, everybody's thinking and talking about In your 40s, you're lesser, but you still think people are talking about End of your life, you don't care. You stop caring what other people think about you for the most part because you, at that point, you can't understand what really matters. Of course, you want to care. Of course, you want people who are closest to you and the people that you value to like you. But if you're only focusing on that part, not focusing on the actual self-work, which will attract the right amount, the right people and good people into your life – well, then you're struggling and you're you really are indirectly and in, actually in a way directly hurting yourself and making that – you're actually hurting yourself, shooting yourself in the foot in that sense. Understand that nobody cares for the – adopting that, that that belief and obviously it coexists with other strategies and thoughts in my own head has done some wonders for me. And it's been – and I know that other people who have shared similar ideas have said to me, they're like, yeah, once I understand that nobody cares and they're not really thinking about you, they're not really thinking about me. For the most part. Yeah. It kind of is in a lot of ways. The fact that nobody's really thinking about you in a lot of ways it sounds a little weird, but it is comforting it is com can be very comforting. People are typically thinking about themselves.
1: That's right. that's their reality. Uh is your <laughs> sadly you're not that important. Uh, to people. They're usually just, you know, thinking yeah. about themselves right. and their own things. Um yeah, so you know, one thing which um so one 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 person who got me uh, involved with uh Rafu Adhanefesh, uh her name is uh Shani Markovich, she's very public with uh her story, you could uh you know look look her up and you know see what uh, she has to say. But it really just struck me, you know, listening to what she has to say about how important it is to discuss these topics. Um so, she unfortunately lost her uh, mother to uh, suicide. And she was 18. Uh, maybe it was 17. Who could remember? <laughs> I don't recall. So, look, this is really just going to stun you. On the day uh, she uh, lost her mother, a rabbi, a psychologist, and a few family friends uh, approached her and her father. She was the oldest in her family. So, they approached her and her father. And they said, Look, anything you say, you can't take back so maybe just say she uh, died suddenly the idea came up to say maybe uh, she died by a heart attack so they were trying yeah. to protect them from the the stigma and the scrutiny there i said stigma i just got <laughs> like a jar i gotta put a quarter in uh they're trying to protect them from the scrutiny and the misinformation uh people uh Think that they'll face in that situation. So she was offered silence on the morning of the worst day in her life, and the cover-up sounded appealing. But in that moment, her and her father realized that silence was everything that led up to this horrifying moment to the point where, um, you know, better not to speak up. Somebody feels better not to speak up about these, you know, uh, scary and sad feelings. And I'm having rather than to risk, uh, you know, uh, bad reputation befalling uh, my family. Oh, that mother is uh, that. You see that family there? Their mother is in uh, therapy Um, or uh, whatever it is. So I give so obviously she didn't choose the silence and telling the story. So I give her a lot of credit. But it really, you know, it it, it really got me thinking about the importance of having this conversation. And look, I talked about, you know, suicide, heavier stuff. Fortunately, you know, it's not, you know. That's not really, uh, you know, the case. I'll speak for myself with, with my story. It's not really uh, related, but it's definitely something I'm passionate about, you know, making sure nobody has to, uh, you know, go through experience or we could cut down this, these unnecessary situations. Um, uh, so um, I mean, let, let me ask you, uh, David, what do you, what do you think? Those stage 10 to 34 uh, in the United States, what do you, where do you think suicide ranks in terms of the top causes of death? Um, uh, low. Not high. <laughs> um, what if I told you it was the, consistently is, the second highest cause of death amongst those aged 10 to 34? You're in, you're out. I'm stunned. It was in 2019, it was in 2018. Uh, it's yes people don't realize it and you know number one is uh accidental death right so it's not even you know homicides is
0: number three actually well wow. so, so there's more suicide yeah. in the age range of 10 to 34 yeah than homicide
1: mm-hmm.
0: yes that is very very
1: very very sad to hear that's why we've got to speak up and because it's it's
0: it's it's, it's not necessary um why it often is not we why what is speaking up do? Why is it so important?
1: Yeah, you know, it lets uh, you know people know that at their core, it lets them know they're not alone. And you know, from what I hear from people and what I read about, uh, et cetera, is you know, somebody who's in that place, the the what they're feeling so 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 much is that I am alone. Um, you know, there's nobody who could help me. Um, I could I would only be a burden on people. And look, as we speak up, we get more education uh, out there. So people who, you know, we don't even like approach the realm where somebody is, you know, so deep into a state of very sad mental illness where they're in the realm of suicide. We get them so far before that. We make treatment so uh, normalized um, where,
0: um, and it, yeah, those are all the things, speaking up does. some of them. Uh, I mean, I, I brought it up as a thing because I, I think... I just think always personally about what I hear and read. You know, there was unbelievable story uh, at ESPN published um, this year, actually, about a baseball player who got so low he um, attempted to kill himself, shot himself in the head, and survived and lived to tell the tale. And it changed his entire life. And Yep. Uh, what, Houston Astros? I think he was a San Francisco Giant. The Giants. The Giants. Right. There's, I saw Sadly Sadly, I think there's. Yeah. Sadly, there's more than one story um of people that have gotten that low, and thank thankfully he was. When he attempted that, he, in his mind, said he was unlucky that he survived. And looking back on it now, he's the best thing that best thing that ever happened to him, and it changed his entire perspective and how he's battled back and how he's been able to document a story. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend googling it. Um, it's written, I believe, by Jeff Passan, and 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 a couple others. And it's one of the most heart wrenching stories I, I've ever read. And athletes and celebrities that have come out and spoken about mental health and it's very easy to discount celebrities Um uh, we, we we love to hate them we hate to love them <laughs> and you know how they contribute to the conversation it's very easy to hate on them and say what do you you have millions of dollars you're a celebrity you have all these all, all everything we ever we could think we'd want and they still struggle and I think the takeaway from that is to to try and put a perspective on it and understand that they're humans they're humans just like you and you and me, and they struggle with certain things, and the fact that they're if they're able to talk about it, Dak Prescott, Hayden Hurst, if you're a football fan, two pretty—Dak Prescott's a prominent—he's now the franchise quarterback of the premier team in the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys. He opened up about his struggles, and I think it allowed people to understand, and at least to a certain extent, that this is real, you're, and I think it comes back to what you said, that you're not alone. I know what it feels like to feel alone and to feel like yeah. you're the only one. And I, and, and something that's, I've gotten a lot of perspective of, and that I've really asked myself when I think back or I ever find myself falling into that thought pattern is uh, when, why, why do you want to feel that? Like, why do you feel that way? And why do you want to feel that way? Isn't it easier? Is, it's a lot easier when to say that nobody understands you. Cause what if they do, what if people do understand you? What if, what if you all, oh, it's easier to feel alone. Cause well, what if you're not alone? Those are, in my opinion, I think sometimes can be harder questions to, to answer and you have to do the work and I think you have to dig deep and soul search and a great way of assisting that is in therapy. It's some of the best work that I personally have been able to do in therapy is questions, 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 doing investigative journalism on your own self and pushing yourself when you need to be pushed and sometimes taking the taking your foot off the gas in, in those necessary times. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to
1: see celebrities uh, speaking up and... Uh, it's we're moving, uh, you know, further. It's there's celebrities, and then there's another, lo- another level is politicians, because you know mm-hmm. people want politicians are are leaders, mm-hmm. uh, to you know be of uh, you know only the the best and uh, you know and everything. So if they're speaking up, then it goes to say further and further that's you know respected politicians speaking right. up. Um, you know uh, somebody like. Uh, uh, I don't want to name names, but there's back to politicians speaking up. So, um, it it get again continues to chip away that you could be a very successful and uh, you know, person as much as anybody, uh, with uh, you know mm-hmm. while also managing mental illness. And we're also starting to see, some uh, executives speak up in the business world, which is also very exciting. That's the next level. Uh as you see, you know people embrace and be excited to see what they can do to share their story and uh, own it and be excited that and brag about what they've been able to achieve and that this is really uh it's something they deal with but it's also kind
0: of like a non-factor in their lives at the same time it's funny because i think i i have such a different perspective Um, i think we come from a a similar cloth in the sense where we've been through the ringer and we've come been able to come through on the other side and it gives perspective i know if i was running a company I don't think I can make it mandatory, but I'd want to have a staff psychologist on site and I'd, and I'd strongly encourage – I'd want my employees to be in therapy. I'd want, I'd want them having a mental challenge or a mental illness or mental disorder wouldn't – personally wouldn't stop me from hiring them depending on where right where they're at. And I'd, I'd, I'd be okay with it. I'd want to know. And somebody who's actively working on, 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 on working on their flaws – that's somebody that I want to go to war with. that's somebody I'd want to go to war with. That's somebody I don't want to build with. That's somebody who has this who has the ability to say, I'm not okay, and that's okay, and here's how and, and I'm gonna take the steps to work on it. That shows a level of self awareness, that shows a level of work to become better. And if they're gonna do that for themselves, well they're gonna come in and be a much better employee than this, than the one who doesn't, the one who's struggling. He can admit it to himself. And those people are it's not to look down on them, they're just not there yet. There are two types of people in this world, David.
1: Uh, there's people who uh, are working on uh, you know whatever uh, weaknesses uh, and they have and they're they're overcoming them and they're turning them into strengths and it's amazing and then there's people who are not working on their weaknesses don't acknowledge them. everybody has flaws. everybody has stuff going on. The only difference is are you do you acknowledge it? Are you um, uh, confident enough to acknowledge that you have flaws? Uh, that you need to work on, or and you're doing a great job, or you're not working on them. So, I feel a lot more comfortable, similar to people who are, uh, you know, I know are working on um, their flaws. And one thing you had on, you talked about earlier, um, which in terms of help, which I want to make sure to hit on, in terms of helping people know that they're not alone. Uh, so, one part of Nafesh, Nefesh, uh, you know, I'm the director of operations, but one part which I'm intimately involved in, and this is really where I started with, is our community blog. Um, so this blog, uh, it's now a community of hundreds of writers and tens of thousands of readers. I haven't actually checked her latest numbers recently. I think wow. it's hundreds of thousands by now. So um, it's all community people brought together. The blog posts, uh, the vast majority of them are people sharing their personal uh, stories stories uh, and either in their name or anonymously. And I, I know people who discover this and they spend hours on this blog, just reading story after story after story and realizing how not alone they are. So it's great for the reader, but it's also great for the person to write and be, and be able to, uh, speak up and get something off their chest because why do you keep a secret? You keep a secret if there's something wrong with saying
0: it or else you would say if there's some issue with saying it. Or so- you don't feel that you have the right outlet, that there isn't a, I, I, I see where you're going there, but I do <laughs> think that <laughs> there are people that aren't able to talk about it because they don't, there's no, sp- they, they haven't, they don't have a relationship in their life that's, has a, that has been able to create a space to talk about it. They don't feel like they have an outlet. They don't think that there's someone they can trust to talk about it. They're not there yet. And that's a two way, listen, relationship goes two ways. It's you and the person and it's creating a space for the other one. But I don't know. I don't think it's only. I just wanna. I just want to put that out there. I don't think it's just, just that's that's it. I think that I only because I I know I come from my. own – It's only my own experience and people that I've sp- that I've spoken with that I've, that have felt similarly. David will handle this in the back alley later. The your, uh, <laughs> Listen, there's no, no as long as
1: there's opinions out there. I just uh, I look uh, you, what you're saying is completely uh, uh, valid. But regardless, you get into right. you know why people are able to speak up, why people do or don't speak up. It's so helpful to speak up and get it off your mind, and just not right. have you know even if even if you're running anonymously, you it's still right. you feel like uh, you know it's it's a little more out there now. It's a little more uh, you know, normalize, which makes sense because it is normal, so that's good. Um, and then another level, if it's in your name, you feel like, uh, you're not, you don't have to deal with this by, uh, yourself anymore. And, and, you know, in terms of having the right outlet and people to speak to, uh, I know, if it's somebody in their lives, I know that sometimes, you know, they don't have the right friends or they don't have the right family member, and, well, that's ideal, um. I completely reject and push back on the fact that they don't have people to go to. There's organizations like mm-hmm. minor Food and Fish, while our specialty is not, you know, with medical support, you reach out to us, we will absolutely uh, set you up with uh, some great emotional support opportunities. And um, and, and I can i I'll speak for you and me. Um, if it's a total stranger who messages us being like I'm having a really rough time, we're gonna we're there for you. We're going to help you out. You're not alone. We're in your corner. Um, and there's really cool organizations objectively out there who want to help you. Uh, go down the list. There's a really cool one project. I think it's Project Relief where they, uh, they do a great job just to just setting people up with you yeah. know, psychologists, good psychologists who want to
0: help. So I would reject if you say there's nobody to talk to, I would, right. I would reject that. Right. I think, I think that's a really an important distinction. It's, it's, and again, I think it kind of goes full circle. It's about the feeling, the feeling you, you can feel alone without being alone, but yeah. if you feel alone, it's kind of one of those things where it's like feelings don't care about your facts. You know, that's why I'm so
1: glad to do this podcast with
0: you because
1: look, if there's one thing people take out of this podcast objectively, no, no debate. You are not alone. Uh, mm. There are other people out there. I understand if right now you feel like you can't you know, speak up whether it's to a friend or even to a professional but you're not
0: alone absolutely i think that's a really um i think it's a really important point to to strike through is that you there there is somebody out there listening to you you are not the first, no matter what it is that you're feeling you are very 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 likely not the first person in the history of the world to feel that way somebody before you has felt that way and somebody who's felt that way has gotten through it and you can Don, you spoke a lot about the organization you were for, but I don't think we um, talked about how you actually got into and Um When did you get involved in it and how did that come to be?
1: Um, yeah, pretty nuts. Uh, so on my first uh, day of my uh, job in accounting, um, first, so I, uh, at that particular moment, I was not looking for a second job. But uh, I got on that day. I got connected uh, with uh, Shani Markovitz, uh, who's the person I spoke about earlier, uh, and um, you know she told me about this organization, and uh, we. Uh, I ended up uh, jumping on this opportunity uh, to be able to you know change
0: people's realities. Uh, so that's how I got connected with them. Wow, that's uh, and then since yeah. then you've just taken on a bigger role or Yeah, I initially started
1: uh I started uh my role was uh the editor in chief of the uh of the blog, which I was talking mm-hmm. about before, so that's where I started. The blog i certainly uh you know, was was kicking uh, you know while I got there they had some you know, great pieces. Um and um but yeah, yeah, over time, uh, you know, I say I I've really been able to work to expand the blog and to uh turn into really a huge community of uh of people. So that's where I started with the phone and FS with the blog. From there I got more involved. Uh, so now I'm all I want to know more big picture. So I got more involved and uh eventually, you know, I was talking more and more with the the bigger leadership and uh I I jumped on some of the meetings, and now I'm the director of operations uh, at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So I s- take a very hands-on approach with the blog still. Uh, cause I, I really believe in its power, so I've discussed. Uh, but also the other various aspects of the organization, like whether we're running a special program, like I discussed before with the, uh, the Israel Gap Year mm-hmm. students. And we have other really cool programs also, like... Um, we do uh, quarterly, so four times a year, do what's called a live uh, conversation, where we bring on, frankly, just some really cool and compelling people to discuss uh, mental uh, health. And it's a conversation because viewers uh, submit questions in their name or anonymously and we address them in real time. Uh, so for example, uh, we recently did one uh, with a, a principal of a school of a Jewish school. And a parent who's had uh, trouble navigating this school system to get um, a good setup for her kids who have uh, mental illness, and it was a very uh, you know fascinating uh, you know dynamic to bring together. It was a great conversation, uh, and you know, other similar great uh, great topics uh, like that. Really compelling topics. So it's the live conversations. Um, so we've got the blog and you got all sorts of uh, great programs. I recommend going to our website to check out. We have a really cool yearly contest. Recently ramped it up, but still check it out. Get in next year uh, for creative uh, expressions. Um, uh, so you know, people submit creative works of art or writings or poems or songs or dances or whatever they come up with. And uh, then they're in the competition, and uh, then we announce winners. So, wow.
0: Yeah
1: a lot and
0: uh, a lot more so definitely recommend checking us out yeah absolutely i'm definitely going to put a link in the show notes uh, below and 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 all the social posts that go around for this podcast i definitely recommend everyone go onto the website go through it you're going to find some really 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 interesting um, articles and and blogs blog posts that are written by by so many people and it's so heartening to hear people um, have that outlet um, I love the audio platform. I love po- I listen to podcasts on the regular. Regular, I felt like it was an interesting way of doing it. But the written form, some people aren't able to, uh, aren't able to vocalize it. Some people are, and they f- they're incredible writers. Some some people that I know are, they struggle to to speak out loud and to talk about things. But the way they wrote, it's they write, it's like unbelievable. They really can put you in that place and just gives another um another aspect of the of to the tell their story. And I'm all pro. Get it out, whatever form you can get it out, because holding it in is not an op- is not an optimal uh not, not an optimal choice. It will eat you, it, it really will eat you from the inside. And you know, have you noticed um, from your submissions what percentage are people petting their um, their names to it, and how many of them are posting under noms, or can you not tell because you won't know if it's their actual name or not? <laughs> um, I don't think we have too many or any uh, uh fake names, though that would be quite
1: the uh, maneuver. Mm-hmm. Um, unnecessary maneuver I would say because you can just put anonymous right. um, but I, I also do happen to know because I often develop a relationship with, uh, with the bloggers mm-hmm. uh, we were often in touch, they're really cool people um, so I, I would say maybe about 50-50 in terms of names versus anonymous and um, yeah, to what you said, it's a great uh, way of people to be able to get their story out uh, in writing uninterrupted um, you you control exactly what you're going to say. It's, um, you know, don't have to worry about potentially misspeaking or, uh, you know, even talking to a friend you don't know exactly or a family member you don't know exactly where it's going to go. You write it out. Um, you know precisely what's going to be. For Some people just express themselves, as you said, better with writing than uh, talking. I'm
0: definitely one of those people. Right. Uh, so I started out as a writer and um, became more of a natural speaker and doing the podcast it's funny uh just thinking about like when i'm i am planning on writing for uh, writing some blogs for for fash and getting more involved in my writing i haven't written in in, in quite some time and i'm trying to exercise that muscle muscle i can sit in a room and talk about it and then when it comes down to writing it's just a whole different dynamic for me it's a lot scarier the idea of penning. i mean i've done i think three episodes that have been solely about my story and what i've done and that's easier for me to do than for me to uh when I do write these things out and hopefully submit it, I'm even I, I'm contemplating you know whether I'm going to put my name to it or not. Um, if I could do this podcast without my name being in it, I would I would have done that as well. Just but for different reasons, I, will, I like to focus on the guest and and to keep that on them. But the private anonymity versus publicly speaking, as we've spoken about it, it personally for you, um, has that has that been a trouble for you when, when being in being this organization and being involved in the mental health topic has that. Has there been a point where you wish you know you could do the work that you're doing but do it under uh, pri- do it with some privacy the world of
1: dating right now so one of, one of the ways you know that I'm open to dating is just being set up uh, with mm-hmm. somebody the straight So uh, a matchmaker once uh, uh, emailed me was once emailing with me and uh, about uh, a person they thought would be a great fit they were really excited. And I said, uh, look, uh, you know, it's actually somebody who's already been suggested to me. And I thought, I think it's worthwhile to you know, give it a go yeah. and go out with them. Uh, but, you know, she wasn't interested. Um, she said, oh, my God, let me look into it. This is going to be such a great fit. I'm like, wow. you do that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> right? so she emails me back, uh, you know, sometime later. And she says, uh, uh, we'll just use a generic name. Uh, Sarah was interested, uh, but then uh, her uh, family learned Mm -hmm. that uh, you uh, take uh, medication. So Sarah is a no-go. And I was like, the concern was not to me at that point in time. It's like, I was like. First of all, in terms of Sarah specifically, I was like, okay, maybe it will work, maybe it won't, I don't know, whatever. Uh, But my concern was more to Sarah, you know, if she's got parents with that uh, mindset, such a, you know, frankly, just uninformed mindset, uh, I would, you know, that's a really tough uh, reality to uh, be living in, because in that sort of orbit, if something, you know, does come uh, upon you, mental health clearly is not talked about, so... Yeah, you know, she would be in bad shape. And also I don't know, I wouldn't want such controlling parents. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> so no? That's where my media thought went. So I said, Look what I told the matchmakers, uh, I said, uh, noted, um please put a lot of focus on Sarah because I think she is going to have uh, you know, a tough time in uh dating with uh you know, taking uh, this type of approach.
0: Well, no, I think that's um I think that's I – I don't think you're the only one. I personally haven't had that story happen yet, but it's something as I'm starting the process of entering – entertaining I for a while, I just I – I don't play the – I've never played the shotgun game, the matchmaking game. I, I don't – it's it's unnatural to me. I don't I'm, maybe I'll be more open to it. I'm I'm very, it's fun stuff. Uh, I'm very uh, I'm very open to being mm-hmm. wrong, just I just don't think you can put me on I don't think I work well enough on paper. I think <laughs> I'm someone you gotta meet in person and, and to learn about on our own. I don't think I fit well on a paragraph and a picture and I don't think you get the full story and I try and always remember that and other stuff. But the point being is I think uh, it's something that I think about. You know, this podcast I know I know for a fact is actually taken away opportunities for me personally, and it sucks. And that aspect, for it, but I and I know that there are other people out there that have struggled with um, dating because of their own mental challenges, and when to bring it up on, when 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 is the appropriate time to bring it up on conversation? Should they know before? And should they know after? Um, and I do want to, you know, I empathize with with people who are not a, who aren't so adept with it. If you're a parent and you don't understand it for your kid, I I am I can understand where you're coming from. I think you should do the work to become. To, to see the other person's perspective and see maybe why. And like, I think you're what was incredible what you said is that you felt for Sarah, that you immediately <laughs> thought for it and said, uh, maybe listen, maybe Sarah's found someone quickly. you can only hope, you can only hope but there, the, the, these are the things are that you're going to navigate in life. And I don't think it should be a deterrent for, I don't think it's enough of a deterrent to stop you from from going out there. It just you should always know the consequences. Before I started this podcast, I thought long and hard and I tried to map out. What can possibly be a stumbling block for me? What can cause problems in my life? And I thought about dating and I said, fuck it, it's worth it. Yeah, it's really important work uh, you're doing, so of <laughs> well, course it is. I think it's important work what you're doing. I'm lucky enough to have uh, created this platform and had so many incredible people come and speak. Being able to connect with you and to find out about your organization um, has been something that's been a highlight of my year. And following the incredible work that you guys are doing, I'm just glad that you were willing to come onto this podcast. And I just want to thank you for coming on and being so open and honest, both personally and about your work that you've done personally, the work that you're doing at an Efish and being open and vulnerable about that last story. I think a lot of people will, are going to listen to that and relate to it and, and, and empathize and understand.
1: It was a motivating story. I yeah. was like, you know, if this, is, if this just goes to show, you know, what we're working on pushing back against, uh, you know, approaches like this, it's great to see it uh, every once in a while.
0: It's Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, David. Thank you so much to Eitan for coming on to the podcast and being so open, honest, and vulnerable about his journey and his story, battling his own mental health tr- struggles and as well as his perspective and insights going forward and the incredible work that he's doing and Fesh is doing. Highly recommend everyone checking, out the, checking them out at refwadenefesh.org. If you're interested in getting involved or want to speak to Eitan, you can email him at alexbneeman at refwadenefesh.org. And if you're interested in writing for the blog... You can see it on their website, org slash blog. I'll put links in the show notes below. Just wanted to thank you guys again for coming back and listening. And if you're interested in coming onto the podcast, you can reach me at don't worry about at gmail dot com or direct message me from the Instagram page, don't worry about it podcast or the Facebook page by the same name. Please if everyone could subscribe rate and review the podcast. That does a really job of helping grow it. And if you have any suggestions, tips, please reach out. I'm always looking to grow and find new people to talk to and curious to hear what you guys would like to see going forward again thank you guys so much for listening and i'll see you next week